Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks. Okay. I feel welcome now. Um, Hey, Pastor Trey mentioned um, the cool Liberty gear you can get online on the online Liberty store now. So you ought to take a look at that. There's a lot of pretty nifty stuff. And uh, we're just trying to get the name of Liberty out there in the community. Uh, Probably not going to be as difficult as it used to be, right? Because now we're the official church of Fort Liberty, I hear. uh, So I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. We're not really, but you can tell people that, okay? If you're inviting them, you're like... Well, the, or the official church of Fort Liberty. I don't know. Um, but Liberty Church was here before Fort Liberty, honestly. Um, hey, we're in a series in the book of Romans. We're in chapter 7 today. Okay, so if you want to follow along in a Bible, we're in Romans chapter 7. And um, let me start it this way. Uh, there was a reading list that I came across online um, a couple years ago now. And uh, the title of the, the reading, have you ever seen those? There's like books you should read. And the title of this particular reading list caught my attention because here's what it was. Literary classics most people have heard of, but very few people have actually read. All right. So I, I just kind of caught my attention. And sure enough, uh, the article went on to list a number of works of fiction uh, like a Moby Dick, uh, Jane Eyre, The Tale of Two Cities, which again, very well known. But I looked at that list, and I had heard of practically every book on the list, but had read maybe one or two because they were assigned to me by an English professor somewhere along the way. I didn't choose to read them, you're right. Um, But I thought, you know, I I like books, and and this might be something out of the ordinary from the usual stuff that I I read. Uh, Maybe I should just take a look at this list, choose a book from this list, you know, famous literary works of fiction that most people have heard of, very few have read, choose just one of those books and read it. See if I like it, see what happens. And so being the studious person that I am, I looked on the list to find the shortest one, okay? And because I, I, I know myself well enough that there are a lot of books that I start that I don't finish. Um, so I found the shortest book on the list, and it was a book by Robert Louis Stevenson that I'm certain that practically all of you have heard of called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And um, how many of you have heard of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Let me just see. Okay, okay. Now, how many of you have actually read the book? Movie adaptations do not count. Um, okay, very few, very few have actually read Robert Louis Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But whether or not you've actually read the book or not, practically all of us are familiar with the story. Henry Jekyll was a doctor in London who develops a potion that if he drinks this potion, it turns him into another person, Mr. Hyde. And Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, although they are one person, they have nothing in common. 
They're, they're not at all alike. Dr. Jekyll is a good-natured, well-respected, upstanding member of the community. Mr. Hyde, on the other hand, is a self-centered, vindictive, short-tempered person. Uh, he lies and he steals and he cheats. Eventually, spoiler alert, he ends up committing murder in the book. And at first, you know, when Dr. Jekyll takes this potion, uh, he can ab he's able to keep Mr. Hyde sort of under wraps, keep him under control. But eventually, as the story goes on, uh, you see the darkness of Mr. Hyde starting to overtake the good Dr. Jekyll and become more dominant. And eventually, doc uh, Mr. Hyde, the darkness just takes over completely uh, Dr. Jekyll, and he, he no longer exists. It's actually a, a pretty dark and haunting tale, appropriate, I suppose, for, you know, the day before Halloween. But the reason I mention it to you, ironically, doing a little research on this book that, that I read, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I found out that Robert Louis Stevenson, the author of the book, uh, he was raised uh, in a religious home. I don't know if it's a Christian home, but in a religious home. And he was quite familiar with the Bible, actually. And so when Robert Louis Stevenson was asked, where'd you get the idea for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Stevenson makes reference to the chapter in the Bible that we're actually looking at today, Romans chapter 7. He said, yeah, that, that's, that's where I got the idea. And see, Romans chapter 7, what we're looking at today, outlines for us Paul's struggle with his own Mr. Hyde. Okay, his, his own struggle with his sinful nature, his, his flesh. And so this morning, as we read it, I think you're going to see some similarities in the stories. And actually, we're going to see the inspired version um, of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's actually the Apostle Paul's life in which he's battling against his sin nature. And you're, you're going to see evidence of it when we read it. But throughout this novel by Robert Louis Stevenson, you, see, you witness this tug of war, this struggle going on between good Dr. Jekyll and evil Mr. Hyde. And there's a quote near the end of the book that I, I want to share with you. It's Dr. Jekyll, you know, writing sort of his last will and testament. And, he's, and he feels the darkness taking over. He feels Mr. Hyde becoming more and more dominant. And here's what he writes. I have discovered through this process that man is not truly one but two. It wasn't that I was a hypocrite. Both sides of me were completely sincere, but one side was tenfold more wicked than I ever imagined. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can relate to the struggle between good and evil in your own heart, in your own life. You can be altogether sincere in your desire to love God and please God and do what's right and live for God but all the while, there's this dark side. There's this sin nature that lurks within. And, and maybe you're able to keep it suppressed and out of sight most of the time, but you know that it's there. And, and probably it comes out once in a while and other people see it too. But, but you know that there's this struggle going on between your old self, your old flesh, and this new life that God has called you to in Christ Jesus. That's what Romans 7 is all about. You know, when you put your faith in Jesus, God gives you a new nature, and he gives you the Holy Spirit. And that new spiritual life in you, it triggers a desire 
to want to live for God. It, 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 it triggers this inclination that I, I want to do what's right. I want to live for God. I want to please Him with my life. But even after we get that new nature from Jesus, there's still that old self, that Mr. Hyde that lurks within, that battles against our spiritual nature and our desires. Uh, we, this sin nature we have is from our human father, Adam. It's passed down to all people through him. And even after you become a follower of Christ, that old nature still lurks within. And so I want to title this morning's message from Romans 7, very simply, The Struggle is Real. The Struggle is Real. Between your old self and your new life in Christ, dear brother, dear sister, Christian friend, no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, the struggle is real. And let's just say it out loud together. Can we do that? Let's just admit it out loud and proclaim it. The struggle is real. It is. It is. There's a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going on in every Christian's life, including the author of the text we're looking at today, the Apostle Paul. And the struggle is so real and, it become, and can become so intense and so discouraging, it's possible that even for a devout Christian to start thinking, man, do other Christians struggle like I do? You know, do other people have this battle in their life going on with their old sin nature? Or perhaps to think, you know, if my Christian friends knew the struggles that I have, you know, with, with all these demons and, and, and sins in my old life, I wonder if they'd even want to be a part of my circle. I wonder if they'd be a part of my fellowship. And I've even talked to believers in Christ who said, I wonder if I'm even saved. I mean, the struggles beat them down so much that they just think, you know, if I was really a Christian, if I was really saved, surely I wouldn't have this struggle with sin that's so real and strong in my life. And my response to all those concerns, Christian friend, would be to say, hey, the struggle's real. And, and every Christian has it. Not all of them might want to talk about it. <laughs> Maybe some of them don't recognize it as much as they should, but it's a real thing. And it's real for every person who's ever placed their faith in Jesus Christ and wants to live a godly life in an ungodly world and who has a, a sinful self, a sinful nature that still lurks within them. Now, you can certainly gain victory over Mr. Hyde, okay? You should. You know, the power of Christ in you, we'll talk about that a little bit today and a lot in Romans chapter 8. But the power of Christ in you, it can give you victory, but this side of heaven, you will never be able to completely silence your Mr. Hyde. Only when we get to heaven before the Lord and He delivers us completely will our struggle with sin be over. And again, case in point, the Apostle Paul, the great apostle, writer of, what, 13 books in the New Testament. We know the Apostle Paul, rightfully so, as a mature Christian. But when we read Romans 7, we find not only is he a mature Christian, but he's a fellow struggler in this battle for sin, a battle for righteousness against sin. Take a look at what Paul says uh, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He writes this, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
Okay, this is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. This isn't some, you know, new Christian, worldly Christian, carnal Christian. This is a guy who sold out for the cause of Christ. He wants to please God. He says, I want to do what's right, but it doesn't always work out that way. There's a struggle. There's a battle. Look what he says down in verse 22. He says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. You know, I, you know, I want to do what's right. I want to please God. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And here is his verdict of himself. Verse 24, what a wretched man that I am. You see what Paul's saying? He said, I got this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing going on in my own life as a Christian leader, as a mature believer, as an apostle. And before we dive into more of what he says in chapter 7, we'll read a good portion of it today. Uh, let me just say this at the outset. Hey, God is good all the time, okay? God is good all the time, and the Christian life is a joyful life, and the Christian life can be a victorious life over sin. And the, the more you grow in your faith in Jesus, the more you mature in what it means to be a Christian, then the more time you should spend on the victory side of things. So, so don't mishear what I'm saying. It's not a defeated, you know, discouraging life. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it can be a victorious life, but Paul, you know, God put this in the, in the Bible because Paul is sharing from his heart that even when you get to his level, there's still a struggle. <laughs> it's, it's real. And that's one of the things that's going to make heaven heaven is that we don't have to struggle anymore with our old sin nature. In fact, Paul even uses this, you know, battle language in verse 23, doesn't he? When he says, you know, my sin nature is waging war. I mean, this is serious. This is intense. It's making me a prisoner, he says, in verse 23. And by recounting his own struggle with sin here, Paul gives you and I a better understanding of why we struggle why the struggle is real in the Christian's life. He gives us three reasons. Uh, let's look at them. Here's the first one. The struggle is real because God's Word informs me. God's Word informs me. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, throughout the first part of chapter 7, Paul is talking about God's moral law, uh, His Word to Moses in the Old Testament. He actually references one of the Ten Commandments. And he's making the case here in the first part of Romans chapter 7 that there's nothing wrong with God's law. You don't look at God's law and say, eh, that shouldn't be in there. No, there's nothing wrong with God's law. There's something wrong with me. That's where the problem lies. And that's the point he's making in these early verses. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was. That's one of the Ten Commandments. I would have not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So you see what Paul's saying. Yeah, it's, it's God's word. It's God's truth. It's God's law that shows me there's this struggle going on against good and evil. And it shows me that while God's word is perfect and right, my life is not. It doesn't line up with God's standard, God's truth. And he says, you know, I wouldn't have known that. God's words informed me of that. He goes on to say down in verse 12, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. He says, you know, God's law is holy and righteous and good because God is righteous and good. He didn't make any mistakes with his law, with his commands. No, the problem isn't with God's law. 
The problem is with my own sinful heart. You know, it is the straight edge of God's moral law that reveals to me and to you the crookedness of our own hearts. Now, God's Word is the standard. We wouldn't know otherwise. His law informs us of the darkness in our own lives. And that, you know, Paul says, you know, I wouldn't have known not to covet if his word wouldn't have taught me that. I I realize there's a struggle going on. I realize that there's good in my life and there's evil in my life. And and they're at war with one another because God's law has informed me of that. And also notice what he says down in verse uh, 14 of Romans 7. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. And what that means is that, you know, God's law is not merely physical, okay? It doesn't just deal with the outside, with the behavior. God's, God's word informs me that there's, yeah, my behavior can be bad, but God's word informs me the real problem is on the inside. It's spiritual. It shows me that I'm unspiritual. God's law, God's word addresses inward attitudes, not just my outward actions. That's what he means there in verse 14. It's spiritual. It informs me that I'm unspiritual. It informs me that my real problem isn't just my behavior. My real problem is much deeper than that. It's inside of me. It's my heart. (laughs) Perhaps you've heard the old story of the father and his four-year-old son who were sitting in church one Sunday. And uh, during the pastor's sermon, the little four-year-old boy kept wanting to stand up. And so he'd stand up, you know, right in the middle of the sermon, and his dad would, sit down, sit down. And uh, he didn't pay any attention to his dad, you know, just keep standing up. His dad looks down the aisle, sit down. You you guys have had those conversations with your kids in church, perhaps. The boy's just totally ambivalent. He 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 doesn't sit down. Finally, the dad stands up, he goes over to his little boy and he, you know, forcefully takes his shoulders and sits him down. And he said, stay there, don't move. Well, the little boy, he knew his dad meant business at this point, but he said defiantly to his dad, well, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. You see, it's, it's the inside that's the problem. Oh, you can, you can force, you know, God's commands on the outside externally, you know, try to control the behavior. But again, we've been learning throughout the book of Romans that the gospel is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation, right? Because that's where the real darkness is. That's where Mr. Hyde is. You know, we've got to get him out of there. And that's where God's word goes. God's word informs me of these things. It's spiritual, and I am unspiritual. And that's one of the reasons I recognize this struggle that's going on in my life. But secondly, the struggle is real not only because God's word informs me, the struggle is real because my own sin indicts me. C.S. Lewis said, no one really knows how bad he is until he tries to be good. There's a lot of truth to that. That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. You know, he became a Christian, he gave his life to Christ, and then he starts trying to be good, and he realized, wow, this is pretty tough. There's a battle going on. There's a struggle going on. There's a resistance to me living out my faith and and being righteous the way God has called me to be righteous that I never experienced before I gave my life to Jesus Christ. So look what he says about his sin indicting him in verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. 
For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And all he's saying there is, I got this Mr. Hyde who keeps showing up and emerging. And I don't want that, but, but he's there. And it's real. He, he goes on to say in verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And, and don't misunderstand what Paul's saying here. He's not excusing his own sinfulness. It's not like, you know, hey, the devil made me do it. <laughs> if you're a Christian, the devil can't make you do anything. But he can sure tempt you to make it look pretty good. So you'll want to do it in the moment, even if you regret it afterwards. So Paul's not, he's not excusing his sin by any means. Hey, it's not me, it's, it's the devil. You know, no, no. He's just acknowledging the fact that no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, no matter how mature you become, the struggle's real. It was real for him, it's real for me, and it's real for you. Look what he says in verse 21. So, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So there's this struggle that he's experiencing. So look what he says in verse 24, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I mean, he is like, wow really struggling with the darkness here, wouldn't you say? I mean, who's going to rescue me? I need a deliverer. I need somebody to save me from Mr. Hyde taking over and consuming me. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, there's something interesting about that phrase there in verse 24. It gives us a pretty vivid word picture. But before the apostle Paul got saved and changed his name to Paul, uh, he was known as Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus being the town in which he grew up. And Bible scholars and historians point out that near the city of Tarsus was an ancient tribe, a village, that had a rather creative, if not grotesque, custom of punishing uh, criminals who were guilty of committing murder. And for the criminal's punishment in this village, the authorities would literally take the corpse of the murdered victim and tie it with cords as tight and close as they could to the murderer's body. So literally the murderer couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything without this dead body strapped to them. Not only as a reminder of the crime they committed, but eventually the disease and decay of the corpse would transfer to them and end up killing them as well. So again, creative, a little grotesque. But, but Bible scholars point out this very, very well may be the picture in Paul's mind as he writes these words in verse 24, 24 about his own sin nature. Who will rescue me from this body of death? That, that, that picture, because that, that's what the sin nature is like. 
I mean, you're walking around trying to live out your faith in Jesus, trying to do what's right, and strapped on you is this rotting corpse, your sin nature, that if you're not careful, will poison and pollute your own heart, your own soul, your own life. But at the very least, it just kind of holds you back from becoming everything that God's called you to be. Now, the good news is, and we know that you know, Romans is about good news, the gospel, good news. Paul answers his own question in verse 24. Look what it says. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is that not good news, friend? How am I going to overcome this sinful nature? This body of death holding me back. Who's going to deliver me? Who's going to save me? And Paul answers his own question. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the last point. The struggle is real because God's word informs me. It's real because my own sin indicts me. But thirdly, the struggle is real because Christ's presence indwells me. We'll get more into this in chapter 8 because, again, chapter 8 is all about life in the Spirit and how you can win these battles with sin. You can be victorious in your Christian life. Uh, We'll talk a lot more about that in the next chapter. But for now, uh, let me just close with this encouraging thought concerning the indwelling presence of Christ in a believer's life, okay? Uh, Because I think Paul, the way he closes out this chapter, he wants to encourage us in the midst of the struggle, okay? Well, as difficult and as frustrating and as burdensome as our struggle with the flesh, our struggle with sin can be, have you ever stopped to consider that the reason you're struggling with the old nature is because Jesus Christ now indwells your life and he's given you a new nature? You see, your struggle is real because Jesus is real. And he has come into your life to wage war and win the battle against that old sin nature that you were born with. So the the very fact that you're struggling is an indication that God is at work in your life. If he wasn't at work in your life, there wouldn't be a struggle, right? I mean, people who, we talked last Sunday about how, you know, God has grafted us into the root, the living root, Jesus Christ. We were spiritually dead. But now as a result of Christ in our life, we're spiritually made alive. But people who are spiritually dead don't struggle with sin. They don't don't understand the the battle that's going on. People who don't have Christ in their life, they, they haven't experienced this new life. They're spiritually dead. They don't loathe their sin. They love their sin. There's no, hey, what's the problem? They come up with all kinds of reasons why they don't want to give up their sin. Right? All kinds of rationalizations as to why it's okay if I do this or that or I want to live my own life and do my own thing. There's no struggle going on there because there's no spiritual life there. So let me just encourage you, brother or sister in Christ, as a result of Christ's indwelling presence in your life, there's a battle. There's a civil war going on in your own life. Your new nature against your old nature. Your new life in Christ your old life from Adam. And Paul's words here should encourage you and I that although we struggle in this life with sin and the struggle will be continuous this side of heaven, no matter how much we grow in our faith, there's still going to be a struggle. 
be encouraged by the fact that the struggle is an indication of God's work in you, shaping you, transforming you. And he, listen, it's a promise and a reminder that the war has been won. Jesus Christ has won the war. When you put your faith in him, the war has been won in your life. We know how it ends. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the very next verse from, you know, chapter 7, Paul says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, the war's been won. We just need to learn and grow to allow the power and the indwelling presence of Christ help us to win the battles along the way. But we know, unlike Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where Mr. Hyde eventually won, your story is different than that story because you put your faith in Christ. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Such a great promise for you and I in the midst of the struggle. We're not ignoring the struggle. We're just trusting the power of Christ to help us to grow, to help us to flourish, to help us to overcome those temptations and sins that often hold us back. You know, in 1941, as the calendar uh, turned to December, World War II was not going well for England. But when Winston Churchill heard the news that uh, the Japanese had attacked Pearl Harbor uh, early December of that year, he went to his office and he called the American president, Franklin Roosevelt. And up to that point, America had tried to, to some degree, stay out of the war and keep their distance from it. But uh, when the two men talked about Pearl Harbor, uh, Roosevelt said to Churchill, I guess we're all in the same boat now. And years later, uh, even though he was sorrowful for the loss of life at Pearl Harbor, Churchill wrote in his memoir these words. I want to read them to you. He says, No American will think it wrong of me to proclaim that hearing the U.S. was on our side in the struggle was the greatest joy to me. England would live. Britain would live. The rest of the war was simply proper application of overwhelming force. I went to bed that night and slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. And you know, I read that, I thought, you know, that's the Christian's life right there. That's the Christian's life. In the spiritual battle, Jesus Christ has entered the battle in your life. When you put your faith in him, he enters the battle. And there's still a battle going on, to be sure. But when you've opened up your life to Jesus Christ, you know the war's going to be won. It's just a matter of, of putting the force, his good, his good spirit, his good word, his nature in you, allowing his presence to eradicate the old Mr. Hyde, give you victory in the battles along the way. But you know the war's over. It has been won. And so as a believer in Jesus, well, you can, you can sleep the sleep of the saved and the thankful. Isn't that good news? I mean, that's the message of Romans. That's a good news of what Jesus Christ has done. Something he's done for you and for me, we could never do for ourselves. To give us ultimate victory, inevitable victory over sin. Let me ask you to stand, if you would, please. Let's close with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Maybe you came to church this morning and you've never opened up your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, why leave this morning without, without opening up your life to the good news? 
You know, God loved you so much he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross. He rose again from the grave. Also, you could spend eternity with him. Have your sins forgiven. That's the gospel. It sounds too good to be true, but it's a free gift that God has purchased for you through his son Jesus. Would you open up your life to him this morning and just simply pray, dear dear heavenly father, I, I want a leader. I want a savior in my life. I've fallen short of your standard. I've heard your word this morning. You've been working in my life. I'm starting to feel like there's a struggle going on. Today could be your day of salvation, simply by faith to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Be my leader. Be my forgiver. Be my savior. Be my Lord. And the scriptures say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's his promise. Maybe you came to church this morning, and you're a, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Christ, but you've got the, uh, you know the struggle, man. You related to the words of the Apostle Paul today. You've got this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going on in your life, and perhaps Mr. Hyde has been getting the upper hand in your life. Well, let me encourage you with two things. First of all, God says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That, that's the difference, you see. When you, when you have the indwelling presence of Christ in your life, you don't love your sin. You loathe your sin. You confess your sin. You want to repent of your sin. Like Paul, I, do the, I don't want to do these things. And maybe God has used his word this morning to kind of recalibrate your spiritual equilibrium, and you see that. I, I need to confess this. I need to repent of this. And God will do his part and forgive you. Let me also encourage you with this that we serve a perfect, loving Savior. And while he is a Savior of justice, he is also a Savior of grace and mercy. And there's no way you could go too far to out his grace. So no matter where you've come from or been to, listen, God's grace is greater still. And the fact that you're here this morning is evidence that he loves you and is calling you back home. So why not just confess that and just step into his grace and his mercy? Stop letting the devil beat you up with guilt and shame. The good news is Jesus Christ paid for that. 